a special edition of Unplug It. Our podcast started three and a bit years ago on the back of a coach sacking with Alan Richardson's departure. Uh, our first episode was the aftermath of that when Brett Ratton was appointed as the interim coach and we were discussing whether he would get the job long term. He did, and that came to an end somewhat unexpectedly last week. I think most of us anticipated that entering 2023, Rats would be under a bit of pressure, but we didn't think that that pressure would be this immediate and would lead to that dismissal. It's led to a lot of speculation. Obviously, it came through about 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday, which obviously created uh, a lot of debate on social media amongst Saints fans. But, Nick, I might get you to open up on that one because obviously you caught wind of the same mail that, that Cal Toomey eventually was able to confirm by about 10 o'clock that night and you were sort of sharing that around in our groups and it's obviously hard to believe rumours like that because they are so extreme um, but yeah as it turned out it, it started to grow legs and I think when you told us where it came from we started to think that it was uh, likely. Yeah it was an interesting one obviously obviously not um not going to say who, who the source was publicly, but um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one because I got the kind of got the text message around five thirty or, or whatever it was Thursday afternoon, and so this is a bit weird. It's it's a strange one, um, and it's not someone that I I normally hear from in terms of kind of footy footy rumors or or news or whatever. But I do know that he's he's a uh, a complete stand up guy, and and normally when he says something, you listen. Um, he's not the type of person to make stuff up and uh, he's got his own sources and, and kind of connections with the club uh, at various levels. And and so it, it was kind of a, a befuddling one at the time. Uh, but as I kind of thought about it a little bit more and I, I sent it to you guys and, and kind of went, you know, what do you guys think? Um, I think everybody was a bit confused about it. The, the timing seemed off. The, the whole concept of, you know, th- this story was off. Uh, but the more and more I thought about it, the more real – it felt, and the more, um, like you said, it started to grow legs over the next couple of hours. And uh, you know, tried to get in touch with with a few people at the club, and just to try and get an answer, or see see if there was any truth to the, the story, and uh, got nothing back, unsurprisingly. Uh, which at the time was frustrating, but looking back on it, you kind of go, well, probably gave gave us a bit of an answer at the time. Uh, that, that it wasn't just a no comment or you know denial, but there was just no response at all. Uh, and then, yeah, nine fifty-seven. Cal Toomey with the uh, the story on afl.com.au uh, breaks, and and well done to him. Obviously, it's a, a massive story, but uh, look, it, it I think it caught everybody off guard. It just uh, there's no real better way to put it. It caught everybody off guard, and, and I'm not sure anybody saw it coming. So yeah, it certainly I think took most of us by surprise, um, and yeah, I, I think. We probably once it breaks that late at night, you're like, this isn't going to be wrong. Right? This isn't going to be one where St Kilda come out the next day and say, I don't know where that came from. That's 100% incorrect. That didn't. Uh, you just knew, well, that's going to happen, and it's going to happen probably tomorrow morning. And it happened at 11:30 when they sort of came out with that statement. People like Cal, who's a very good operator, doesn't go with that stuff sort of willy-nilly. It's not like a, a Tom Brown or something like that that might sort of throw it out there a little bit more, a little bit more broadly. But well, especially, yeah. especially not with a with an article on AFL.com. Like a, a tweet, sometimes different that could be a bit speculative or whatever. But with you know the efforts gone into putting that story together and you know writing it up, it's it's published on the AFL website. That's that doesn't happen unless it's true. Um, yeah. and it is, it's, yeah, it's an interesting kind of process in, in the way that that's worked with the AFL and AFL media. But, um, yeah, it, w- once it got to that point, it was like, this is, this is happening now. Um, and 
as we've had some other people alert to, I, I was telling our group and it's, it's the story's been told on radio that I was out for a work dinner on Tuesday night and one of the guys walked up to me and said, um, your coach is out the front on the phone looking a bit so-and-so. So, and he, so I sort of look quick peek. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm not going to bother him or anything like that. And you sort of think now, is at the point where he was being told that we're, we're not going ahead with you for any more. It's, it's the, it didn't look a happy phone call. It didn't look like it was good news or it was why well, he wasn't talking to his family, wondering what they wanted from the, from the restaurant or anything. It was, it looked a bit, a bit head down bit sort of thing. So it was, then that message from you came through. I sort of gone, okay, yep, yep. That's could be what, what that story was, or what that phone call was all about. That's I mean, the piece is just, seem to be falling in place now and you're going yeah okay that, there's that there's our sort of timeline i guess almost looking at it so um so we kind of we're all all had bits and pieces that we've put together and kind of come up with one big story i mean we, we sort of look back now and going geez we should have ran with it at what seven o'clock or something and we'd been the first ones out I there wanted but to. Could, i wanted we, to oh, been, i wanted to it would have been a nice one to claim but yeah, it's the sort of thing that that happens. You sort of go, oh, yeah, where's this coming from? But, yeah, the pieces, you sort of look back now and go, yep, that, that's exactly what we were looking at. And I guess we're in a unique position. I mean, obviously, as supporters of the club, it's a little bit different. It's not We're obviously not in the pursuit necessarily of trying to break news and things like that. When it comes to our club, we're trying to obviously tread carefully and, and make sure these things are right and you know, be a, a somewhat trusted source for, for Saints fans to be able to go, well, if these guys are, are saying it, then, you know, they're not saying it willy-nilly or making it up or anything like that. So uh, I think you're absolutely right, Nick, to, to do that due diligence and, and, and await confirmation and confirmation we got. Um, that's the nature of the beast. Um, but, but, yeah, it's I, I guess now we probably talk about the tenure. So he coached us. 68 times, 34 and 34, exactly 50%. Um, three and three as caretaker in his first year. Finals uh, outright in his first full season, which was 2020. And we know that was a weird year uh, in every sense. And then the last two years, a little underwhelming. This year, better than last year. We certainly played better football in 2022 than we did in 2021. But obviously, the end of the season was pretty ugly. I mean, we were eight and three and lost a game by a point. So probably should have been nine and two. Um, and then obviously a very disappointing finish to the season. But I thought that increased pressure on Brett Ratton, not necessarily costing him his job. But you're talking to a few people, there have been conversations with the likes of Lindsay Fox and Andrew Bassett, who's obviously spoken about claiming scalps. I imagine Jeff Walsh has had a role in it to some degree. Dave Noble, certainly. Um, and we are where we are. But, but H... Um, I guess fundamentally, we know it was ruthless and we know the timing of it was probably questionable, but did they get it right? You, you could put, um, answer it yes or no. I mean, yes in the way, you look at the way we finished the season, it feels like we were figured out. And then there was no plan to go, how are we going to counteract these teams figuring out a game plan out? We've... It was almost stagnant when you look at us how we how we finished the season. We, we'll, I mean, our best performance was against us, Sydney, who sort of just held us at arm's length and 
like we were fighting for almost nothing and we had nothing to lose. Uh, and we probably played our best football almost that night against Sydney, even though we didn't win. But where, where did the first half of the year go? And why didn't we progress from that? What, why did we think that it was just going to keep working all season? And I think there lies part of the issue that we didn't have that plan B, that plan C. When things aren't going our way during a game, we flipped things over and changed what we're doing. And I'm I, through the year, I've said it a few times when in the games we've lost, teams put a run on us and we just didn't know what to do. We kept trying to play the way we were playing. They were beating us with that game plan and we had nothing to come back and answer them with. We had no way of stopping how easily they were beating us. I mean, the games we're talking about mostly, like the Essendon game, the Bulldogs games, the yeah, just, just these matches that we look on paper and they're teams that we should be beating or right up with and should be... I, I don't think the Bulldogs, obviously, because they've only just snuck into the finals, they were not much better, if better, than us at all when you look at the team on paper. But they made us look second class when we played against them. It's, yeah, so it's just no... I don't know whether they tried to play the same game plan against every team or there was um, just... They come out with something that we weren't expecting and we just had no answer for. So it's always just been a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a uh, red mark I've had on him most of the time is that lack of ability to change what we're doing. It's it's funny. I think that Carlton fans kind of had similar similar thoughts. You know, when when Rats finished up at Carlton, their their complaint was that he had us playing pretty good footy. But there was no plan B. You know, when things were going wrong, we didn't have plan B, plan C. Uh, and, you know, we couldn't stop, like you said, couldn't stop teams getting on a, on a roll or on a run. And uh, ultimately, that was the, the same with us. And I, one of the really interesting things, and, and Darren, you mentioned kind of the first half of the season, or actually you mentioned the first half of the season compared to the second half of the season. And uh, I think Andrew Bassett alluded to it in the in the press conference where he kind of said, you know, it's not fair to say that he's lost the players. Uh, and the players love him and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. And they're sad and, and saddened and, and all that type of stuff. But it certainly felt like something changed. And I don't know what it was. Um, but I remember speaking, you know, the first half of the season, almost up to the bye, almost every week, we were talking about how this club felt different to in previous years, the, the atmosphere, the energy, uh, the togetherness that they were playing with, the synergies and the cohesion and, and all that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, we, we were starting to dream that this was the new St Kilda that was playing as a team that was not relying on one person, a Jack Steele or whoever it was, to, to do everything, that we were playing good footy as a team, uh, the energy was there, you know, we were never out of a game. Uh, even if we were 30 points down, we were never out of it. And, and you kind of felt like even if we were four or five goals down at three-quarter time, that we still had the, the run and the, the energy to, to kind of fight and, and fight it out. And then came the bye. and that fell to pieces and I don't know how to explain that without kind of that assumption that the coach has lost the players and it sounds really easy and, 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 and a, I don't know, a, an excuse or a judgment or whatever. And I don't know what it is, but there was a clear difference to the way that we approached our game 
post-buy to what we did in the first half of the season. And the fact that Bassett even had to mention that he hasn't lost the players or didn't lose the players or whatever, and this was a, a total you know, a review issue um, rather than anything like that, was kind of, I don't know, something just went off in my head that maybe the, the, the denial of the fact means that there's something in there. Um, notwithstanding, I, I do think that the players probably did love him, even if even if he did at some point lose them from a coaching perspective. You know, we, we know that he's a classy guy. He's a quality human being uh, and, and, you know, would never ish, wish ill on, on anybody. Um, and so, you know, from a, a pure human standpoint, I, I do feel incredibly sorry for him that this is the way that it's panned out, especially under these circumstances. Um, but again, you can argue whether it's the right call or the wrong call until the, the you know, the cows come home. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Because there's a bit, there was a bit of an argument about that in the saying that he may have perhaps got too close to the players rather than like a bit, bit more of a mate rather than a coach at, in some situations. Cause I mean, you'd see footage of him mucking around training with players and having a laugh with them and that sort of thing. And I mean, and, there is that fine line between being the coach and being a mate. And I've seen people saying, yeah, he was too close to the players. There was that, that coaching mongrel wasn't there and it, it was lost. Um, and there, there's the question, is, is that sort of thing, will it bring a coach down? If, if they become too close to players, is that the way they lose them? They don't lose in the way of being personable with them and that sort of thing, but lose them as an actual coach. That, and that could be part of the issue. Yeah, the questions, I guess, I, I had, and, and agree with that. Look, he's a, a quality bloke and he's been sacked brutally twice and he doesn't deserve that. That's obviously unfair for him. Obviously, his own club in Carlton did it to him and then uh, the Saints have, have done it to him. And, and, you know, I was really grateful that we gave him another chance. And I think certainly he's produce some strong results, but but you've got to measure it against how good we think our list is. I think people have quite rightly pointed out that Carlton and the Bulldogs won one more game than we did, and you could argue on paper they both have better lists than us, um, but then you could argue the counter and say, well, some people might think our list should be playing finals. So the, the club's obviously got to make a clear judgment as to where they think the list is at and then whether they think Brett Ratton can take us to another level, and, and that's certainly a valid concern. I would argue that he has shown some tactical shortcomings. I think he's been very good at bringing the list together. He's been very good at, you know, reinventing a couple of players, but he might be a, you know, a six to 10 coach, a coach that can get a side competitive, but maybe not be able to take them to the next step. And, and as I said in a, in a post I put on Facebook, they're obligated as an organisation to make decisions that they think will help us win a flag. We, we're not always going to agree. And as I said, we don't always trust that they'll get it right. And the reason we don't trust it is because they don't always get it right. In fact, frequently they don't. But it is their job to do that. And I think there's merit in the decision. I think it was handled poorly and I think it was delivered ruthlessly. And I feel for, for Brett in that sense. But... It's not necessarily wrong, if that makes sense. That um, They probably could have done it at a different time. And, and I read the press conference as they've probably got a plan in place. That's sort of how I interpret it. It's only gut feel. It's not inside word or anything like that. Although, you know, talking to a lot of people that we've had on this podcast that work in the media, that they're all sort of singing from the same playbook a little bit. But, yeah, my, my view on it is that 
Um, they wouldn't make a sudden and somewhat brutal call, which yeah, apparently came after a meeting of the mind, so to speak, unless they knew what they were doing. And I get the feeling that they're going to wait a few days to make it look like they didn't know what they were doing and then reveal probably what we thought they were going to do all along. I think I think you're right on, on all of those counts. And, and for what it's worth, I also don't think as much as it feels like it was an incredible shock and it all happened very quickly, I think that this has been in the works for a period of time. And uh, over the last few weeks and, and certainly month uh, since the Best and Fairest, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that were at the Best and Fairest that were heavily involved in, in the, the, the awards night. Uh, and that the mood around the coach, the engagement between the players and the coach and other administrators and the coach was certainly um, not what you would expect for a night that is a ultimately a celebration, even if it was an underwhelming result for the, the season, is that you know the best and fairest is a fun night. It's a great night to, to be at and enjoy and whatever. And that the feeling, you know, the mood around the coach, the coaching staff and the administration was certainly not one of celebration. Um and so that that was that was one of the I guess uh, warning signs that I kind of saw a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and not to say that I saw this coming at all, but we do know, and and I, I do think that the review you know, that didn't just come out on Wednesday, didn't come out on Thursday morning. This didn't happen in twenty four hours. You know, Andrew Bassett himself said that you know this we've been talking about this for over a week. Um, that the review report, you know, whatever it was, came out you know weeks ago. We've been working through it. It, it was under process or in process since July. Um, and we've had a, a fair inkling about what it was going to say for the last few weeks, few months, et cetera. Uh, and, and, you know, what he said was that we spoke to Brett last weekend uh, and said that his role surprisingly had come up as part of the review and that we didn't expect it, but, you know, we're going to have to make some decisions in the next few days, in the next week about what the coaching role at, at the club looks like moving forward. And that, that came as a shock to everybody. Um, especially I would assume Brett Ratton, um, you know, given they've just re-signed him to a new contract 97 days ago, um, you know, so that I, I think the, the, the process was flawed, but I don't think it was a surprise that that process was flawed. You know, the, the fact that they re-signed him in the first place when they're about to undertake a football department review is a flawed judgment. Um, and, and a flawed process. So, yeah, this, this entire process, the last six months, has been flawed from a club perspective and a process. Perspective. Yeah, I, I think. I um, think. Yeah, as you say, I think a lot of people assume because they re-signed him that this decision is wrong. Probably means that that decision was wrong. Um, correct. Uh, which tied them into a position, as you say, where they, you know, were they to sack him, a it's a financial problem, and b clearly it makes you look like you've got no idea, and maybe they've got no idea, yeah. but. Um, Obviously, we've got to wait and see, but interestingly, it's our fifth coach since 1993 to lose their job after a season in which we won at least 10 games. Um, Ken Sheldon, Stan Elves, Grant Thomas, Ross Lyon, although Ross Lyon didn't lose his job. Um, he obviously departed for uh, Fremantle and obviously now Brett Ratton as well. And, and all of those coaches within a year or two of playing finals um, have, have lost their gig. So we have been particularly ruthless uh, as a football club in this space. But um, H, your, your views on whether it's going to be Ross, how you feel about that, and if not him, who? Um, they say where there's smoke, there's a fire. And at the moment, this seems like a bonfire. It's it's taking off in 
crazy, um, crazy speed. The people, as soon as it happened, it was almost like, oh, he's got the job. And you, on on one hand, you go, might be a reason for yeah, that. On one hand, you go, is that why it happened? Because they've got someone. But on the other hand, you go, I don't know if they've actually spoken to him. Because, I mean, because then you got the whole thing of, oh, is he keeping quiet because he has spoken to us or he's keep, hasn't said anything because he's gone, hang on, I haven't heard a word. So it's still so much to play out, it feels like. But I just hope that maybe they have got uh, got the plan in place and that's why they've done it. And that's the best hope for us. If all of a sudden they've gone, okay, now what do we do? Then it's a bit like, oh, that's concerning. But it'd be nice for him to come out in, what, a week or t- whatever. I think they said something about maybe mentioning something this week coming up or um, that, and they might come out and say, oh, yeah, so-and-so is going to coach us this year or next year. And they talk, oh, we've been in talks for two weeks now, whatever that, and then they decide and they'd be like... The, the thing is that they can, mm. they can have not spoken to Ross directly mm. and that doesn't actually mean that there aren't plans in place. Yeah, yeah I think there uh, we know that, that spoken Ross to is, candidates. That, that might mean there aren't candidates. That's right. So. <laughs> yeah. True, yeah. true. But I think, that, I think yeah, that's true. But I think also, you know, we do know that um, Ross doesn't have a manager or an agent mm. anymore. Uh, his lawyer, who's one of his best friends, is a former board member and director of the football club. There's a pre-existing relationship there. Uh, other uh, work experience relationships that Ross has uh, are very close with members of the St Kilda Football Club administration from the president down. Uh, there are ways to communicate and have kind of things set in in motion without actually having spoken to Ross Lyon. And, and like you said, H, it feels like where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think, you know, Darren, you said at the, at the top of the show that um, you know, everyone we've spoken to is kind of singing the same tune at the moment. And, yeah, that doesn't happen very often in footy media. No, that's right. And messaging a lot of Saints fans in the media who are journalists and things like that, they're saying the same thing. A lot of, um, you know, past coaches, past players. And look, at they might just be putting two and two together and coming up with the same theory that we are because um, that's what it looks like. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of the dismissal of Brett Ratton, if they sack him in the middle of October without a plan in place, it either means they've, they've got no idea or they've, there's three options. They've got no idea, they've got a plan in place, or the situation with Brett was so dire that they had to move on. And I doubt it's the third one. I doubt it would be so drastic that they had to do that. Um, I think if they didn't have a plan in place, you would hold the line because I don't think it's crisis. Uh, and if it's the first one, then it's highly, highly questionable as to their own future as a board. So I think it's option two is the most likely of those options. And if they have got a plan in place, the most likely plan in place that they would have would be somebody who's coached before. You're not going to make a move like that because, oh, I really want Adam Uze or I really want Daniel Gian Syracuse. You're going to do that because of someone's... Especially not without an interview. Exactly. Not without an interview and a chat. Exactly. Sort of You're going to do that because someone's got runs on the board. Um, and look, Ross Lyons, you know, there's unfinished business at St Kilda. We know that. Um, obviously, we came so close. That That's the best St Kilda side of all time. I know we won a flag in 1966, but 9 and 10, clearly the best St Kilda team that's ever played, particularly 09. So... Uh, there is that romance. 91, yeah. 91 probably the competitor. Yeah, uh, and obviously because a plugger and the big four that we had at the time. But, 
romantically, I mean, I understand there's the questions. There's always questions with a coach. So, um, you know, three years out of the game, has he adjusted necessarily? Our list is not as good as the one that he got the first time. It's not horrible, but it's not as good as the one the first time. It's not as good as the one he got at Frio. But can he turn that into something that can really compete? Part of me thinks that he's so structured and so well-drilled that can't help but get the best out of the group and have us, uh, you know, push up to our very best level. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, there's always a degree of doubt in it, but I think ultimately it would be a good appointment, um, and, I'm, yeah, I'm for it. I can't remember what the... It's an interesting one. There's a stat on the radio the other day about over the past, I think it was... I don't know, it may be even the AFL era of the coaches who have won premierships, only a handful of them had been involved in a premiership before they joined the, the coach, the club as a coach. It's, yeah, it's been proven that the success brings success. So when we're looking at Ross going, okay, well, he hasn't. Is that the best option for us to... I mean, just looking at that, you go, you've got to get someone with that sort of premiership experience. I mean, then the argument also goes back to that Renton had that. So, yeah, there's a, it's a whole thing of going, is Ross what we want? Do we want to go back to that point again? Do we want to bring back what we had and try to try to do the same thing with a different group. That's it's a real real tough question or and but the only other, I guess the only other thing he's got on his side is these former players are also coming back to um coming and getting behind him and saying, get him in. Because mm. obviously they've got they've got so much respect for him and loved the way he coached. Getting them back to the club with him as well would actually I mean how big would that be for the club if we had Really promoting us, and as we've seen mm. Goddard as basically jumped on, and people we thought we'd lost him to Essendon for a bit there. So it's it'd be huge for the club in the way of having them pushing this situation and being involved again. And but mm. it's just the whole is that the best thing for the club on the field as well, but. I mean, there's, pro- there's probably bit, there's probably yeah. more ups than there is downs in this in that option when you look at it. it. It's a tough one because I'm I'm not sure there is the perfect candidate out there at the moment. And you know, maybe if Essendon hadn't gone and signed Brad Scott a couple of weeks ago, maybe he's involved in that conversation. Um, Luke Beveridge is another one that's kind of on the periphery of the conversation. And and you know, I think if this had happened next year, then you know, or midway through next year, then all of a sudden those drums would have been would have been beating much louder for Luke Beveridge, given he comes out of contract next season. Uh, but he's under contract, and obviously there's you know th- there's issues and, and things that that need to go through there. I think the club would be interested in speaking to Luke Beveridge if nothing else. But um, yeah, I, I think out of out of the candidates that are available, Ross Lyon is probably the best of the lot for a number of reasons. If nothing else, he's proven. Uh, he's got a proven formula of structure uh, and getting the team to work. And one of the the main complaints about the team, about our team, pretty much ever since 
Ross Lyon has been the fact that we've played football in an unstructured manner. Um, you know, we're dysfunctional in a lot of areas. We, we've made things work sometimes, but th- there's A, not a lot of creativity and B, not a lot of structure. And you can't, you can't win games of football. You can't win finals if you don't have A, structure or B, creativity. And for, for long periods of the last decade, we haven't had either. Uh, and you look back at, at that 0-9-10 team and, and I, I realise that there's a, a gulf in quality, in class. Like you said, Darren, that 0-9 team is, is potentially the best St Kilda team of all time. Uh, and you look at the names and the, the makeup in that team. Um, we, don't, we certainly don't have the star power of that team right now, but I think the depth of the team is probably slightly better. I think our bottom six now is better than the bottom six was back then. Uh, which could be a benefit, maybe not, I don't know. But you, you have to imagine that Ross Lyon comes in and over the summer has these guys working super hard and is building a structure and a formula within our game plan to get things done on the field and that they are going to know what is expected of them at every moment, not just at any moment, but at every moment. And you know whether it's delivery into the forward line, whether it's moving the ball from half back through the middle, that that there is going to be a plan and there is going to be a structure that hasn't been there over the last decade. Uh, you know whether or not we've got the skill, the talent, the the quality of our playing list to make it work. That's another issue. Um, and does that mean that we shouldn't bother with this plan and that we should start from scratch again? And you go with a an Adam Uze or whatever. Uh, and you go to the draft and you rebuild. Um, yeah, if we do that, then you're probably you're almost pricing guys like Jack Steele and and that kind of generation or that type of age player almost out of the next premiership tilt at St Kilda. So, yeah, it, it's a really tough one. It, it, we're we're at a really critical stage of this process, if you can call it that. Um, and some some tough decisions are going to be have to be made. But um, I guess that the last question that I wanted to put to you, Darren, and H, um, at what point does does some accountability have to be levelled at the board, at the president, at the CEO, who was the COO and the head of football, uh, and I guess the overall football department for not making this work and for making the poor decisions that has us doing this episode here tonight? Yeah, I mean, you look at... Um, you know, Simon Lethane, who we reached out to, as we mentioned via socials, reached out to him and, and Andrew Bassett in the hope that it would be an open forum for them amongst fans. And I think they were open to it, but obviously the club, there is a process in place and maybe down the track we'll get there, but um, not as yet. But, but yeah, I mean, if you look at Lethane, obviously there's been aspects of the process that, you know, he's done a pretty good job with. Obviously, he's now following the footsteps of Finnis, who did a very good job. Um, but you look at, say, Panabry, then you look at, uh, you know, situations like the Cairns deal, which hasn't worked for us at all, the, the hire, the re-signing of Ratton, and then ultimately the dismissal of, of Ratton, uh, some of the list management calls as well and, and looking into that. Um, yeah, absolutely, there needs to be accountability. Where that comes from, I don't know exactly. But, yeah, for, for me, it's it's really a case of installing that degree of discipline. And if you get it right, say, with a coach, whoever that may be, are you still going to have problems at board level? You've got to have the whole thing humming along in sync. So, um, yeah, I think Ross would be, I guess, part of that. And as you say, in terms of discipline and commitment and attitude and consistency and all of that, yes, 
tick, 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 but he needs the support from the higher echelons if that is going to happen, which is what we had last time, obviously, in the, the Westaway era, um, you know, when he was coach around about the times of those grand finals, and, and we certainly need that again this time, H. But, yeah, questions have to be asked for sure. Felt like we are sort of going in the right direction first up when I mean, we signed Jeff Walsh and we're going, wow, there's that, that's a huge get. That's probably one of the biggest gets um, off-field. Get Off-field gets in the off-season. Um, you, you look at where he's come from and then the success he's had and that sort of thing, and you're going, we've got someone who knows what they're doing. And whether that's had, I guess, the roll-on effect as to what's happened since. Um, but, yeah, it's... it's one hand, again, one hand you praise him for getting him, and the other you go, well, did we handle the other, the, the outgoing as well as what, what we should have? It's real tough situations trying to think, okay, well, has, did, did, did this signing bring this all on and it's a good thing, or is it caused a, a divide, or is it, yeah, uh, it's still still hard to read a few things, but I guess I guess we, if he uh, the contacts he has as well, he's he's going to bring in good people behind him and in, and put in good people in front of him. And he's the uh, one change that I was saying is it's going to give us a real boost and. Basically, is I can't see his, um, I guess, appointment going wrong. We've just got to build everything around it correctly. And I don't know if he's had any sort of connection anywhere with Ross, as whether Ross was an assistant or anything like that at all. Um, I was, so I was trying to just think only about five minutes ago, thinking, oh, was, has there been a connection to any of these names that have come up? I think but... Ross, was, Ross was Carlton, Sydney, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then he ended up with us. Yeah. But I don't think he, I don't think Walsh was at that any of those clubs no, at that time. So been, I don't think there would have been a crossover, no. Yeah, so whether that connection will work or not. So th- there's the other things we have to find. Are, are these going to work? Um. He had yeah. the other thing I think that speaks to it to the process is that they've hired they've hired a, a an executive GM of football and, and essentially a new head of football uh, without having gone through that process you know, of the review of the football department um, and, and you know you can't argue with getting Jeff Walsh Jeff Walsh is you know the the ultimate AFL administrator yeah you know, he's been there done that at a number of clubs and, and he's so highly regarded and so highly respected across the league that you can't help, like you said, you can't see it not being a success. You can't see that failing at some level. But the fact that they did that while a review was either still ongoing or they're still making decisions about what happens post-review uh, and that, you know, during that press conference on Friday morning saying that Jeff Walsh had no involvement in that discussion, uh, in that decision, Etc. is is a strange one for again from a, a process. It's probably not true. Um, <laughs> just just like the you know not speaking to anyone probably wasn't either. But yeah, a lot of people. And um, as we wrap things up, um, there will be a review episode. A lot of people have asked us about that. I mean, we, we have been 
uh, obviously quite flat out and trying to get that organised. Probably a good thing that we haven't done that in retrospect, um, given everything that's happened that would have changed that significantly. So that will come, obviously, once this announcement is made, once the draft or, or sort of over the next week or so, we can start talking about the draft. We can reflect on the trade period, which obviously was relatively uneventful, but Zane Cordy was one that came in, Ben Long went out. Uh, we obviously have our draft hand now, so we'll discuss all of that. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully wait until we have a senior coach um, and then can obviously put that in as part of the review and, and Brett Ratton will obviously take a fair chunk of that as well. But, yeah, it was a, a surprising week that probably became a little bit less surprising as we ticked along um, and now we await what happens. As I said in that Facebook post, if it does happen to be Ross, um, we had a look at what it was like for – it might have only been for 30 seconds, 90 seconds, but we had a look – a couple of times as to what it might actually be like to climb to the top of the mountain. Uh, we know that he can drag us up there um, and you can't help but just feel in the back of your mind that there is that unfinished business and the scriptwriters don't usually like St Kilda too much. It doesn't usually go the way it's supposed to, but if there is a football story within Ross Lyon that you were going to turn into a movie, it would be him coming back to St Kilda and winning that flag that we came so perilously close to doing. So that's the nature of us as fans. You, you turn your attention to that and start to hope again reasonably quickly. But we look to our review show in the coming weeks and whatever does happen, whether it be Ross or someone else, we'll front up again like we always do and wait for the next um, wait for the next kick in the backside. But, yeah, that's been the other week that was.